Hello and welcome to Cartel Aristocrats cast number 78. We'd like to thank Cool Stuff Inc. and GatheringMagic.com for sponsoring this cast. With free shipping on orders of $100 or more and a sweet 25% buy-less bonus, CoolStuffInc.com is a store for all of your Magic the Gathering needs. I'm joined this week, of course, with my beloved co-host, Jim Caselli on Gathering Magic, as well as Quiet Speculation, and our beloved host, Travis Allen of MTG Price and MTG Fast Finance and Scry.Land. We've got a lot to cover this week, so we might as well jump into it. Um, this was a longtime goal for Jim to get on the Pro Tour, and he he fell off the train a little bit, but there were a couple cards that spiked, uh, thanks to people like Pascal Maynard, Angel of Invention went up a bunch from Kaladesh. Uh, that went down, that went up from its $4 low to around $10 to $15. Angel of Sanctions saw a little bit of move as well, seeing play in the God Pharaoh's Gift deck. And other than that, there wasn't really much uh, financial movement from the Pro Tour. Did you guys watch the Pro Tour and observe any other trends that we may not have seen coming? I just want to. I just want to back up for a second. Did you just use the opportunity to talk about the Pro Tour to to like dig at me? I mean, I'm just sad that we don't have someone who has accomplished, you know, a PT day two or a PT top eight on the cast. I played in day two. Accomplished day two. What does that as mean? As in, did did well on day I'm, two. I want to eat and eat. That's pretty good for your first Pro Tour. Most people don't even yeah. do that. None of the people that that like none of the people that make day two like that don't make day two have that record. Ah, okay. Well, anything you noticed financially, Jim, while you were pining away at not being with Pascal? Um, I mean, all I noticed is that this project was really weird because it came after Worlds, which was the premier event basically for this set. So a lot of the decks that were at the Pro Tour, we've already seen before. Like, there's nothing. There's nothing new or busted that people didn't know about coming into it. So I have a feeling that there's not a whole lot to be gained by this. Um, I don't know how many people were watching with all the other stuff that was going on this weekend. I know I personally was more interested in watching the BlizzCon stuff that was happening and all the like championships that were happening in those games rather than Magic, but um, it really doesn't surprise me that not much went up. Well, to be fair, Jim, there were 25,000 to 30,000 viewers on Twitch watching the Pro Tour, all watching Corbin type into a computer, and not once did he have a Brainstorm Brewery hat or apparel on to advertise his podcast. He also didn't have a Cartel Aristocrats hat or shirt, so I don't really know what you're getting at either. I'm saying there is ample branding opportunity for the hat section of Wizards employees at the Pro Tour level. So when are you going to give them our sweet top hats and monocles? <laughs> oh, God. I'd be surprised if they, I mean, they might now, but I'd be surprised if they continued to let them wear other branded merchandise on cast. Yeah, I can understand that, especially for the commentators. But Corbin was more like situated away from the cameras, but you could still see him entirely. So I was joking with, I guess if Jason comes on, just like, you know, what happened with, uh, with no advertising there, guys? Um, and then on the flip side, we finally got uh, from the vault transform. Well, on the flip side of that, nobody who is interested in competitive magic or being good at magic or knowing anything about magic would uh, want to listen to Brainstorm Brewery. That's a completely different market than the Pro Tour, right? But it, it's still sweet advertising space. Trying to make fun um, of them, Jeremy. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, on the flip side, we had From the Vault Transform, which includes all five Origin Planeswalkers, Garrick, Delver of Secrets, Huntmaster of the Fells. Um, for some reason, the Black Enchantment from Ixalan, which made no sense. And uh, I got blown out on Jace Friend's Prodigy pretty hard. How do you guys feel about this uh, From the Vault? Uh, so if you're a commander player, there's a lot of legendary creatures in this. And a lot of like weird cards that people are like, oh, these are safe holds because they'll never be able to reprint them because, like, what, where are you going to put a Garrick Relentless? Why would they reprint that Planeswalker in a set? But this is the kind of thing where, like, once they announced from the Vault Transformer, I was like, if you have any double-faced cards that, like, 
are expensive. They could probably be in here. That's why a lot of people were saying, you know, Bloodline Keeper was like definitely one of the cards that people were expecting to be in there. It's very expensive. It's very popular. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of reason to hold on to anything. So I'm glad that they did a lot of these reprints. I'm glad that people are going to get their hands on them and they're not going to get stupid expensive because I really don't know how often they can do this type of reprint. So I'm glad that they chose to do it now. Like, I don't really think there's a lot of other From the Vaults that they really could have done. Um, maybe they'll do like a From the Vault Gods. That'd be sweet. But pretty much other than that, like, I don't know what kind of cards they really want to reprint. And I think this is a good opportunity to get double-faced cards again, especially in foil, because like a lot of these are legendary creatures, like I said, and the foil versions of those are just astronomically high. Uh, I mean, it's not too surprising, right? Like, as soon as they announced FTV Transform, we knew what was going on, and you knew what you shouldn't have had in your inventory. Uh, some people might have gotten blown out on Jace like Jeremy, but I don't know. Like, did you not like think to sell them ahead of time is that what happened or could you not get rid of them um so it was at an interesting point where the price had started creeping back up from it so jace has been through a lot of weird stuff when frontier happened you know that format's dead it went up to like 35 bucks right uh when it saw playing blue black reanimator and legacy it spiked then it went down to about 15 to 17 on the low end that's when i started picking them up risen about 10 percent in the last like month or so I want to say, I got hit with a reprint. So when they were at 15 low, I picked them up at 10 because I thought I couldn't lose. Uh, we had them in the shop at like 20 or 23 after the rebound. And I think now that after this comes out, it'll be back down to like uh, probably 15 mid, 10 low again. And it's such a good Planeswalker, but I thought it would be a safe longer term hold. Um, I'm okay with... Like we couldn't have, we we could not have kept and did not keep uh, Liliana or Nissa in stock. Those were extremely popular, uh, like budget planeswalkers for our EDH players. They really like Nissa especially. Uh, so there's definitely demand out there, which is great. I, I just got stuck holding like 20 copies of Jace, which didn't feel great. I mean, I yeah. think that that's a, a good thing to talk about. Just like the age of these cards is really not that old. Wizards of the Coast is not afraid to reprint cards that are pretty recent. And I think that's an important thing to, to realize going forward that long-term, like, things that used to be long-term, like, easy holds are just not that, that, not that way anymore. Like, we talked to Paul last week, and he said, you know, he was really surprised by the Thoughtseize reprint with the old art in Iconic Masters. That's just kind of, like, a thing that if you, if, you, if you ask me and you said, you know, how long can I hold my Thoughtseizes for before they get reprinted? I would gonna give you to at least till the next Modern Masters, which is 2019 probably. So that's like two years ahead of schedule. And in this set alone, there was Bruna and Gisela, which are and and Avison, three angels from the last uh, was it two years ago? I guess is when uh, Eldritch Moon and Shadows of Innistrad came out. Right. Like, those are pretty recent. If you were holding those, hoping they would go up, you know, if you bought them like after the rotation, which was not that long ago, and you're holding them, hoping they would go up. You just got blown out. Like these, this kind of behavior is not going to be rewarded like it used to be. Anything you want to say, Travis? Um, well, they've certainly gotten more and more aggressive with the reprint schedule. That comes as no surprise. Uh, you know, you've been able to see that with the master sets. We went from master set every two years to sort of every year, and now we're getting two a year. Over the last six, seven years or so, they really ramped that up, and the pool of cards is getting more and more aggressive. That they're they're more aggressively pulling from that pool of cards. At the same time, the number of cards needing reprints is shrinking dramatically. Uh, you know, when the first Modern Masters came out, there was still there was a healthier legacy format. I think um, you know it was still more represented than Modern was, or at least it was kind of on part in like the tournament level but i mean since then legacy is you know all but gone star city booted it off the circuit a while how ago how dare you numbers. how uh, dare you modern has also matured as a format so most of the people that want to play have most of the cards that they need type of thing you still have to pick up new cards but it's not like you have like reams of fnm players still trying to work their way in 
Um, so there's less demand on those. And you can see that the number of modern spikes today is paltry compared to what or it was three years ago. So you have less places that you need these reprints, less cards that need these reprints and more aggressive reprinting of the stuff in that pool as it is. So all this stuff is very dangerous, which does lead kind of push us to like cards that are harder to reprint. So even a flip card, I wouldn't consider in that boat anymore because when Origins came out, Wizards talked about how they had changed the way that they were doing, they were able to print flip cards, which means they could do them whenever they wanted. Um, and we've seen flip cards now in several sets since then. Uh, so you have to look for stuff that's a little tricky. So foils are a good way to go because they don't get hit by the commander sets. Um, alternate alternate foils or promos types of things of that nature. Um, you know, some for some players, it's the 93-94 stuff. Uh, you know, there's a lot more appeal to those types of cards than there was in the past. And hopefully that answers one of our viewer questions this week as well. Because uh, we, we actually just sort of answered it uh, as we were going along. Um, Timothy Steeler had asked, uh, what our thoughts were on the increased risk of reprints uh, coming up, especially with the return of these sort of core sets. Uh, and speaking of these quote unquote core sets, Iconic Masters is dropping in two weeks and like no one's talking about it right now because we literally have a product releasing almost every week this month, I want to say on average. There's like four or five products this month. Hey, really? Yeah. Iconic Masters drops on the 17th, I believe. We also have Explorers of Ixalan. We also have Unstable, I believe, is what it what it was. Um, and then we also have From the Vault. Unstables this month? Should be. I can double check that real quick for you. Uh, no Unstable is released December 8th. I mean, it's the first week in December. It's like close enough. Yeah. So in the next month, we have four products. That is so. a bunch of them. Uh, but thoughts on Iconic Master? Well, actually, let's talk about Unstable first because I had a lot of locals ask me this question and I'm assuming our viewers want to know as well. They want to know where these basic land prices will settle. Um, I have very strong personal thoughts about this answer, but uh, if you guys want to chip in your two cents ahead of time. I mean, it, I don't know if there's like a very easy way to de determine where it's going to end. Um without seeing any of the spoilers of the actual cards. So where this set is going to end up being is if there are enough cards in this set that are cube playable and people like really enjoy them, then maybe the, the, some of the value of the set gets soaked up by that. Or there's enough like funny Mimi joke cards. Like if they make like a rare, that's like a homage to Stormcrow or some shit like that, then people will buy those and and the booster packs themselves won't be like literally a basic land um and that that's all the value so i'm gonna guess that you can probably buy the mountain and the plains for like a dollar and then maybe the island the forest and the swamp for like two or three dollars depending on like how how much other stuff is in the set because basically what what it's going to end up is just like unhinged boosters right now where like the entire value is just in the basic land i'm pretty cool on all of these uh simply because the number of cards with cool land has number of cool lands has grown so dramatically from the first time we saw the unhinged and unglued uh, lands you know the unhinged ones are are still probably like the coolest basic, but there are so many more options than there used to be when those came out and when they really started to move in price. Uh, and now there's just so many that I really don't see people caring really. I mean, they don't need to. So, you know, people are asking at what price to buy them and like, you know, if you can find them at a dollar, I guess that might be fine. Um, but, you know, I'm not expecting, you know, I don't expect these to be $40 type of thing. Like why would they be, right? Uh, and, you know, Jeremy may have some other insight into this, too, as somebody who is likely to sell those types of cards a lot more often. Are we talking foils? Uh, just basics in general. So from what I've noticed, trying to sell foil full art basics, even before Unstable was uh, revealed, like Unhinged Land, Unch Unhinged Land foils and Zendikar foils from both sets are down like 20% across the board. 
Uh, you can get planes for like $35 for unhinged foils. Islands have still gone down. Like there's just too many full arts out there. And I think besides Island with how many uh, people there are on the online markets now, I think these are all easily a dollar to a dollar fifty. I'm willing to make that claim for non-foil. Um, I understand that like shops won't crack this box, these boxes, and make money on it at those prices. But the people who are selling these basics uh, that aren't shops are just going to race each other to the bottom. And like in two to three days, it's going to be like a dollar to a dollar fifty. And then you you just wait for TCG to have some sale, or you look at like a sell your LGS is doing because they're going to want to make their money back on all these boxes that they bought and that they'll be sitting on forever. Uh, and yeah, I, I just don't think this is a good place to put your money if you're buying packs for sure, but you're going to be able to get some really cheap full art basics. I don't know what the foils will go for, but the, the non foils are going to be basically nothing. I mean, I assume the foils will probably be like 15 to $20 at the most, right? Like, yeah. And at any like five, yeah, and at any more, like people would just crack more boxes for more foils. Like I'm assuming there's going to be one foil per box or something. They'll probably change the drop rate for that. Uh, but I just feel like if foils were any higher, uh, people would just keep cracking packs, which would just keep devaluing non-foils. So we'll see where it ends, but I'm pretty confident we'll see a price point of a dollar to a dollar fifty for at least a couple of days. But I mean, like, what is their long-term outlook? Like, where are they in three years? Uh, this is like a U.S. bond that may not ever pay four percent over five years. So I, I, I'm not putting money in these. I might put money in the foils, but that's only because I can buy them at buy list. So, and even then, it's like, who am I going to sell them to? Because a lot of the, a lot of the better players, the ones that like to pimp their decks, they want gurus. They want original foils. They want unhinged foils. Those are the people I sell to. Yeah. I mean, they are cool looking. Don't get me wrong, but like, I just don't see where the the demand's too split now, right? Like, yeah. And the other thing is, like, a lot of the standard players that like, had we not just gotten two or three, four land sets in a row, they would be using these. But they have all their uh, hour of devastation. They have their battle for Zendikar. Like, they don't need more full art basics, and those are still dirt cheap too everywhere. So. Like some people that like John Avon will buy, will spend a dollar fifty on islands because they don't want to spend twelve dollars on unhinged islands or whatever they're going for. Yeah, I mean, like you can buy regular uh, like Hour of Devastation or um, Almond Kit full arts for like a quarter. That's like basically ba bulk basic land price at that point. Like I don't think you can like list them for much less than that. You can't because we've tried. <laughs> you will actually just lose money if people order like only eight copies of full arts. So it, like I would, I would have made more money by listing them to another vendor than if someone orders $2 and like 10 cents of basic lands off me on TCG. So it's, uh, it's not worth it. So we'll see. Uh, but I just wanted to cover that because there's so many people that are curious about the future of these, um, these, Full art lands. Uh, just, Jim, yeah, go ahead, Travis. They, they want them to be unhinged again. They want to feel like they got in on the ground floor, but the ground floor was like seven years ago on unhinged, and it's not coming back. And boxes were sitting on shelves forever. Obviously, like I wasn't playing Magic back then, but I've heard plenty of stories where distributors were like selling them for basically nothing. Shops just had boxes. I remember when I got in and uh, five or oh, I, oh god, like six or seven years ago now. Uh, shops where uh, shop our shops still had a bunch of them sitting on there because the islands were only like five dollars at that time. And you know, we we saw the growth when magic exploded, but everyone's a lot of people already have the basics that they want. I mean, we we so. literally we've had when when the unhinged ones came out, they were the second full art lands, the only other ones before that were the un, unglued ones. And then they did the, the Zendikar ones, and those were very expensive. And then they did the Battle for Zendikar ones, and those were like significantly less expensive, but still very coveted. And then they did the Amonkhet ones, and now they're worth nothing. Cool. Well, I think we've uh, 
landed on a pretty good agreement on the future of Unstable. Uh, Jim, would you like to talk about our credit winner this week? Sure. I think his question is right up your alley, though. So uh, Johnny Duan from San Jose, California. Uh, when you get a chance, can you send me a message on Twitter or on Facebook? Or you can email us, I guess, also, and uh, I'll get you your store credit. But he asks, how much money do you think the best backpack grinder can make doing MTG Finance? What do you? What about a good LGS? What do you think the top online MTG re retailers are, and what do you think their pro gross profits are per year? I, I don't know. I don't do any of this stuff, but... Uh, I can't imagine it's enough to make it worth it. Travis, you uh, you ever work for a shop? No, I have no insight on this. I can only assume Jim signed an NDA with Cool Stuff or something, which is why he can't talk about it. I mean, I don't know any of the numbers. I I work there, yeah, but I don't know. I don't know anything except that they paid me. Jim just handed people cards and took green stuff in return, and he never looked at a single number. No, I didn't the work of the devil. No, I didn't do that. I didn't. I didn't even talk to people. I didn't work at the retail area. I worked in the warehouse. I did all online. Uh, I mean, they also had Quasimodo just running the bell tower, I guess. <laughs> Hellfire, dark. Okay, God, that's stuck in my head. Oh man, that song is gas. Um, is a song from the movie or something. Yeah, oh, it's a really messed up song. I will. No. I will send it to you. That came out oh, shortly. Shortly after, like I kind of left. The, age, the Disney age, so I never really oh. got into it. He's like, hey, this girl doesn't like me, so let me be all creepy about it. It was an MRA yeah, typical before we had a for it. Yeah. Um, so, just like off conventional wisdom and off like public resources, most brick and mortar shops make like 5% to 10% max profit after their expenses are, are factored in and wages and like on a $60 board game, they're making at most like $6. And they have to do that like over and over and over again. That's for a successful game shop. I mean, like we know we know certain shops that sell in bulk like our sponsor. Uh, probably like volume is way more important than profit margins. But for smaller shops, like you're going to be making like 5 to 10%. It's so Mag brutal. Magic singles are where like you can make like 10 to 20% which is way better. And then concessions, you make like 40 to 50% generally, like factoring in cost and employees. Um, like that's why people run tournaments because they want you to buy sleeves. They want you to buy concessions. And like, it helps a lot. Like we sell out of water every time we have a tournament. And like that keeps the shops, that pays the shops utilities for the day. It's like selling like 200 <laughs> bottles of water. Stores like to sell concessions isn't it and as a player i enjoy buying concessions <laughs> and you also have to like get certain uh it's a joke because it's cheating <laughs> yeah you also have to get uh documents that like say you can sell food stuff like that uh so it's not an easy business um how much do you think the best backpack grinder can make like there's people that make six figures they're few and far between but like you've probably heard of them uh the top shops easily make seven eight figures a year no question probably more i don't know i don't look at their numbers i mean because they're all they're all private the real problem there is like you don't want to is that what you want like is that what you want to spend your time doing but it, it's it's very much a quality of life thing i think to be doing the backpack grinder life and if you enjoy that if you enjoy that type of thing, then that's fine. And the amount of money that you make is what it is. And you, but you don't care about the money because you're doing it because you enjoy that. Uh, and if if they make seven, even if the best of the best backpack grinders can get close to six figures after all their expenses, if you don't like doing that, then it's not worth doing. So I, I think the amount of money is is less important than just asking yourself if that's how you want to like spend your days, your weekends. My favorite thing that I have seen related to this, as you recall, like I've done uh, work for shops in the past on like helping them with getting their shit together, essentially. And one of the shops would always like brag about how they've done a half million dollars in sales. 
And like to some uneducated person that's not in retail, they're like, holy crap, half a million dollars in sales. He's probably making 30% on that. You know, that's easily six figures. And then you look at it and it's like 40 to $50,000. You're busting your butt for a year before taxes, which is like an entry level wage at like corporate America for like a, a skilled college graduate. And let's be honest, none of these people are skilled, but even still. Yeah. And like, there's a lot of people that are way below half a million dollars a year where it's like, I'm doing this as a hobby. I know nothing about business. And like for people that you probably need like $750,000 a year minimum in gross revenue to like live like a normal person in middle-class America. That would be my guess. I haven't tried it because I'm not going to do that, but that that would just be my guess based off like profit margins. So, because you have to reinvest money into the shop and then you have to pay yourself. It's not just like, look, we have $40,000 left over after doing half a million dollars in sales. It's like, well, now we have to buy new tile and now we have to, you know, do all this other stuff. I think the one thing that tends to get overlooked is you really need a critical mass of people in your area too, right? Like you can't just start this in the middle of nowhere because you don't have a community that will keep you afloat. And it's also going to be really tough in a urban area because there's probably already people doing it. So you really need the right market for it. And I think that's probably what most, both in like what it takes to run a successful store and also the questions we get asked, right? Like we always get asked about how much money it costs, which is an important thing to consider. It's always more than people think it is, but it's also hard to, to find a market for that store. You know, I know someone that opened one here in, uh, in Buffalo and he's like, I'm going to open a store. I'm like, it's a terrible idea. Cause there's six of them already and they can't all stay open. And you know, he, I wished him well, but it didn't work out because there's six stores here and how would it work out? Uh, and like, even if you had done everything else, right, if there's too many stores for people to buy magic cards, why are they going to come to yours? You know, business isn't your friend. I literally had a shop like 40 minutes from me say, Hey, we need, and this was this morning. They were like, Hey, we need you to publicize our event so that we can reach, we can reach advanced WPN status. Cause we need this many players to come in for F and M. And I literally responded like business isn't a charity. What there's nothing in this for me. I'm not going to do this for you. Yeah, that's like, ridiculous. They just expected you to do it to just advertise their event because yeah, they're just buddies. like, hey, can you can you advertise this versus like another shop that I have an agreement with where we share their events and they share our events and we both get each other's customers on, on differing weeks, which works out perfectly. But if you come to me and you say, hey, can you publicize this event? Because we need WPN Plus. I'm not your <laughs> friend. Like, there's nothing in that for me. I'm not your friend, buddy. But uh, thank you for the question, Johnny. Uh, uh, oh my God, I can't even talk. Jim, for all the people that keep asking us on Twitter on how to ask a question, would you like to tell them how they can leave a question for next week? Absolutely. So if you are looking to leave a new question next week, when our, or I guess this week, later this week, when our uh, episode goes up, you will need to go to gatheringmagic.com, click on the podcast, which I think will be 78 if I'm correct, or 79. What number are we on? We are on 78. We're on 78. So, yeah, click on Cartel Aristocrats number 78. Scroll down to the bottom, and you will be able to leave a comment with your Facebook account, and we will, and Ed will probably answer it, and then if you get cho chosen on the cast, then you will be able to win a $25 to store credit. I also like to request that people stop asking us questions about how to open stores and how to backpack grind. Can I uh, can I submit a question that's actually somewhat reasonable for discussion on this cast that someone else asked? I'll allow it. No. Okay, which one sounds better, Travis? Haggling? Broad concepts of empathy finance. <laughs> and not Ed's audio. So there was haggling and what else was it? Broad concepts of MTG finance. Which would you rather do? Uh, broad concepts of MTG finance. Okay. So Anthony Brank, Branken, Branken uh, asked, Jeremy recently commented that he couldn't wait to get out of MTG finance. Where do you guys see your relationship with magic? Just magic, not MTG finance. 
in five years. So this is like the standard entry level job where do you see yourself in five years sort of thing? Um, basically not involved anymore. I will own some EDH cards and nothing else. I assume that I do magic finance right now because it was a good segue between what I was doing before and my career now, but I'm actively moving that along. And within five years, uh, my career won't afford me the opportunity to be doing this type of thing, nor will it be worth the returns at that point. And I will probably have been burned out on it because I have been doing this basically since Zendikar. So like one of the longest running people, at least public figures, I will probably take bow out, at least go dormant for a while. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. I don't really play standard anymore. I don't play modern. I don't play any like constructed format that you have to go to a com you know a convention center or a store to play anymore. So I don't know. I still find it exciting. I like reading the spoilers. I like seeing what the card prices cost and and playing that game a little bit. In five years, will I feel the same way? Uh, probably not. Um, I play a lot of EDH, and if they don't come out with a, like an exciting new commander or something for like multiple sets in a row, then like maybe I stop. I don't know. Everyone takes a break once in a while. I took a break from Ravnica City of Guilds until Dark Ascension, so it would not surprise me if I took another like four or five year break and then came back. We had a, a player. Uh, a friend of a friend recently, my fiance's friend texted me and said, Hey, did you hear so-and-so is getting out of magic? He's quitting magic. You might want to go talk to him and see if he's selling his cards. And this is a guy that owns a shop. And I was like, Oh geez. Okay. I mean, I'm curious to, you know, if he's getting rid of a shop, kind of curious about what's going on over there. So I'm like, okay, well, where did you hear this? Like, why, why do you know this? And she's like, Oh, we posted it on Facebook and sent me the picture of it on Facebook. And it's just like him. He's like, I'm quitting magic. I'm done. Cause people, are rude and jerks and you know, I'm still going to run the shop, but I, I'm quitting magic. And I'm just like, he's not quitting magic. Nope. That's not, he did not quit. He got angry for a week. He will be playing again in a week. Nobody actually quits magic like that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like, it's like you, you, you either run out of people to play with or like the format that you played is just really not interesting and you don't want to go to your LGS anymore. That's basically how people sum it up, Jim. I think I agree with you on that. Um, I'll still be playing but I'll only be playing cube. So that's, uh, that's the only format that interests me with friends anymore. So that was a, uh, that was a good question. Instead of asking us, <laughs> it was a tad what dark. <laughs> what do you mean? Where are y'all going to be in five years? Gone. Unanimously <laughs> <laughs> gone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Adrian Kitto from New Zealand asked, Hey guys, Question for those of you who, oh wait, this is, uh, all right, we can work with it. Hey guys, question for those, for those of you guys who sell, I see a high value item, $500 or greater case or online, and I want to make an offer on it. What is an acceptable ballpark offer that's going to start a dialogue? Also is offering to pay via a feedless method, like a bank or wire transfer going to influence this price? Cheers, Kip. So, uh, Jim is starting, right? Yep. Uh, I don't know. You'd have to talk to that person. Well, if there's one thing magic finance people don't like, it's fees and, and uh, uh, PayPal goods and services, allegedly. So, I'm assuming if you talk to most people, they would be happy to work out a lower price. What was but I the, charge uh, sales tax. So what, get wrecked. What were the conditions again? Uh, if you see a $500 card, if say you're selling a $500 Japanese foil that you picked up through arbitrage, Travis, uh, and he wants to pay like through a bank transfer, which saves you on fees or yeah, something like that. And he also asked what percentage well, offer in general too. Yeah. So like, what would you start your offer at if you see a card listed for 500? That's tricky. Say Doug's I, selling a $500 card. I mean, if it's and Doug, I'm want offering it. him 100. <laughs> uh, if it's a shop where I don't know the person running it, um, I would probably, I might start at 300. I would say, um, yeah, I would say like 40-ish, 
30 to 40% is like a good place. 40% if you have like the cash in your pocket, or you can be like, look, I will either have the $300 in my pocket or I can run in the bank and put $300 on the counter right now. Uh, and like kind of feel them out. They're probably going to tell you no, but they'll be like, no, absolutely not. Be like, okay, well, like, where do you want me to meet you then? And it kind of gives them a range and like maybe you're shooting for 400, but you figure anything that you buy, uh, you can pay, like if it's 500 in a store case, you can get it cheaper on eBay and they know that as well. And being able to put hard cash on the counter immediately helps a lot, especially in those higher dollar value cards, which, uh, which tend to be very illiquid. You know, they're not going to be eager to take 30% or 40% off a of Snapcaster because they sell those like, like constantly, you know, sort of can't keep them in stock. If it's a actual $500 card, that's a much better opportunity to haggle because those are so hard to get rid of. And if the store has a $500 card, they probably paid nothing for it because they know how hard they are to get rid of. Uh, so if they can get rid of it and make a bit of a profit, they'll be happy with it. So there's two factors here that I want to talk about because this happened to me at Eternal Weekend. One is how long the shop has been holding on to this card for. And the other is uh, how much you know other people are buying this card at. I bought a foil Rashad import, a foil Worldwake Chase the Mind Sculptor. Uh, near mint alpha soul ring uh like a bunch of four to five hundred dollar cards and they were priced at 10 percent below tcg low which for a for an event is like really competitive right that's like something you normally don't see because they have to pay so much to get in there um and so i started my offer at 66 percent of the prices he had listed uh and th this was for for customers at the shop because i knew they wanted these cards and um he, he was honest and he's like, well, this is like a $3,000 buy. He goes, I basically paid what you're offering, which was 66% of 10% under TCG low. So basically around channel fireball buy list. And I said, well, how long have you had these cards for? And he said, well, I bought them this morning and I priced them this low so I could flip them and get more cash to buy more small cards because those are easier to sell online. And I said, well, what if I pay 10% more than bought them at? You make dollars. You know, you got more money out of those cards. You don't have to go home and list them. You know, I pay $400 on a foil Rashad import, or I think it was 350 because he wanted 400 Like 350 ish on a foil Rashad import because he bought it for $300, uh, stuff like that. And he's like, you know what? He's like, you do 12.5% above what I bought this at, and that's okay. So I walked away paying like 20% under, 20% uh, under, his what he wanted which was already 10 percent under tcg low and he got money that he was able to flip right away back into more cards so it worked out for both of us obviously the more money you have at a shop in cash the more shops are going to willing to work with you if someone comes in and they want to haggle on a ten dollar card absolutely not if someone comes in and they want to haggle on a hundred ten dollar cards yeah we can talk so that's the name of the game yeah as i say that's like also part of the issue is like your mileage may vary on the card that you're trying to do. Like, if you ask someone for ten percent off a dollar, a card that's a dollar, they're probably just going to no sir you. But you know, a card that's you know, hello, Sig, is that you? Yeah, I, I mean, would, I would veto that on principle. <laughs> I mean, Sig would ask for like eleven or twelve percent. You know that, but uh, yeah, like the percentages are important but aren't at the same time it's more of like what the actual dollar value of the thing is that you're trying to buy or sell um so yeah i mean it also depends on like what kind of store it is like if the employees have no say over the card prices then you're probably just not going to get any response anyway from them because they have no no ability to influence that so it, it depends it depends on the store it depends on what you're trying to buy you can offer them a little bit less and see where they goes from there. Can I add something else, Jim, since you brought up another good point? Um, the employees that I work with for a bunch of these places have zero say over uh, what they can price cards at or like if they can give discounts. But one of the traps that a lot of shops fall into is giving their regular customers a discount every time they come in. Because like I understand you want them to you want them to have repeat business, but at the same time, uh, I'm gonna mute Ed real fast again. Uh, at the same time, uh, that's like a giant loss in 
what your profits are going to be at the end of the year. Uh, so that's something to keep in mind. But if they're buying like a card that's been that they know has been sitting on the case for a while, or if they're buying enough that I that it piques my interest, then I'll give a discount. But like you can't expect to give a discount of a hundred dollars to a customer if they come in like twice a month or something. It it's just uh, it's just not worth it. Ed, how's your audio going? Uh, I am outside now. I'm actually sitting in front of the hotel. I was inside the restaurant where there's just a million people. There's football going on, et cetera. So I can actually hear. Would you like to talk about uh, what's going on as loudly as possible into your microphone? Oh, can you, is this better? Yeah, if you just want to talk about your day and what went on. Uh, yeah, so I am in Nashville. I'm at the Southern Hobby uh, Retail Expo. So for, for most uh, people out there, Southern Hobby, they're one of the major distributors in the U.S., uh, they're up there with like GTS, uh, ACD, PhD. Uh, they're great. Use any... What's up? They're great. We use them. Yep. So there's they're like one of like maybe like six or so. Um, so here we're at the expo. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot. So they're they're the distributor here, but there's a lot of retailers or people who make games. Like Wizards of Coast is here. Uh, I tweeted about the unstable box not too long ago. Um, they actually had that at their booth. So, so people who follow me on Twitter, they can actually see uh, what the box looks like. It looks a lot like the conspiracy boxes where there's the two halves with kind of the uh, pop-up uh, cover to it. Um, yeah, but basically it's just a lot of uh, meeting other game stores, kind of seeing how they do business, meeting with other uh, retailers. They're kind of setting up uh, like deals like, hey, we're coming out with uh, this line of games with uh, these types of products. Uh, Dragon uh, Giant Shield was here. They had uh, their products. Ultra Pro, they were showing um, samples. I'll actually tweet about it later. They actually had samples of the uh, the relic tokens they were coming out with. Um, I actually got to hold one and kind of look at it. It was kind of cool. It was a little bit different. Um, who else? Like Dex uh, Protection was here. That's uh, MTG Deals. Uh, kind of baby, as it were. Uh, they were kind of showing off some of the new stuff they had. Um it was pretty cool, very different, very different than what I'm used to. There's a, it's not, they're not necessarily trying to sell you on things, but more or less it's, hey, we have these products. Uh, go through Southern Hobby. They have these available. Uh, if you like what you see, they'll be there for you to order, basically. Um, so, again, it's a lot of, like, it's all formality, a lot, of, um, a lot of handshaking, a lot of meeting other people and kind of, like, just learning the inside tricks of the trade, as, as it were, I guess. All right. Well, you came just in time for a pick of the week segment, Ed. And now that you're feeling like a a, a, a social media star with more than uh, five likes on your on your tweet about the box, what is your pick of the week? Since you're always the first one, you're actually just the worst. At this, um, I think, uh, I would actually go with uh, Carnage Tyrant. It's one of those cards where. It's kind of in a weird spot because initially it was super, super hyped up at pre-orders. It started out low and they got super hyped because people realized the card was insane. Uh, it, it slowly kind of took a dip after that. Um, but I think given given how popular energy decks were this week, how well they did, it fits pretty well into like, you know, all the green-based energy decks like Soul Tide Teamer. They will obviously do well with it. Um, control decks didn't really seem to show up, which are kind of the natural predators of but I think like Card Tyrant is kind of that card that just goes over the top. Because it has been seeing a dip, that's the reason why I would jump in. Uh, mainly because it really doesn't take very much for it to, to take off. Um, and I've always been a big proponent of standard mythics, especially in Ixalan. Like, obviously, there's a lot of it out there. Price may continue to dip a little bit, but it, Card Tyrant is just one of those cards where it's just too good to not see play in standard at some point. And what it does, it doesn't need to see play as a four of, but just as a two of when people realize that, like, hey, this card is definitely the mirror breaker in some of these uh, matchups, like, that card will just probably go up to its, like, $25 price point again. Like, right now, you could buy, probably buy, I think, about, like, 16 to 17 I, I'm, I'm fairly comfortable buying in a few copies at that price. Awesome. Well, thank you for your devoted time to this cast, Ed, and I hope you have fun seeing all the new exciting products that Magic is bringing to the table because we clearly haven't had enough this year. Uh, Jim, what would you like to call as your pick of the week? Nothing. Don't buy anything 
save your money and wait a month. Because honestly, I don't. I, there's no standard cards that I think that are worth buying. I think everything's going to continue trending down for the rest of the year. There are no more premier level events that people are going to be really excited about. Don't don't buy anything. Uh, if you are, if you really, 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 really need to buy cards that are about to be reprinted into iconic masters that are in your modern deck or the modern deck you want to build. So if you were building some green white monstrosity and you need horizon canopy, get that card. You don't play that. You play blue cards. Get your cryptic commands or your ancestral vision or whatever. Just buy whatever reprints you need out of iconic masters. I think those are those are probably the best cards to get. What have you got up in the oven this week? Toasted raviolis. Mm, nothing. Stop playing magic cards. They're dumb and bad. Uh, I don't know. Corsair Crawfix is fine. They're like 30, 40 foil copies at eight-ish bucks. There's the promo at like six or seven, but there's only like 40 of those. So there's like 100-ish foil Corsair Crawfixes probably, uh, but they're in like 12,000 DDH docks. It's got the cool enchantment creature frame. Doesn't seem bad. It's popular and modern, and like I said, twelve thousand EDH decks. It's a pretty popular green card, so could do a lot worse than that, I guess. Other than that, I'm I don't know. I haven't really paid that much attention to Magic for like the last two weeks, so I don't have a good feel for it. And the Pro Tour gave us nothing. Uh, yeah, I I'm not sure how I feel. There's like nothing I want to invest on, and we'll have Ed clarify his position on this in a second. Uh, the only one that's peeking out, and I know I sound like an old school fanatic here, is Beta Terror. Uh, this card continues to trend up on buy lists. Uh, it sees a bunch of playing old school. It's just something that, like, if you've been waiting on a copy for your cube or you want one for EDH, just buy it. It's like four or five bucks, so it won't kill you. But uh, they're getting harder to find. Um, Ed, do you sort of want to talk about when you had this stance back in uh, the middle of September, actually, it looks like, on why saving money until these later months is such a good idea now that you're starting to be proven right as prices dip? Um, I think it's one of those things where, like I mentioned before, it's not necessarily about saving money specifically, not for any specific time. Like this, we just happen to think of this time because uh, there's like all these iconic masters coming out. Uh, I had a chance to look at the Explorers of Ixon, uh set earlier which it definitely looks very sweet it's definitely one of those unique things where i was pretty skeptical about it i know we had talked about it on the cast at one point um are you inside the decks themselves if you're looking at from a um from an ev perspective but i think like it's one of those things where i was at first i i, I straight went to the wizard booth and said hey like what is the point of this product like who am i supposed to sell it to and the way she explained it was that it has, I think it has a lot of casual appeal. The tiles themselves kind of add an interesting dynamic to the game. Uh, it's probably going to be e like reasonably easy for us to market to EDH players in the same way that because there's four decks inside, it kind of follows the same tra trajectory as uh, Commander Anthologies, where you had four people basically splitting the cost of it, and you each and you each get one deck out of it. And you can go from there. You can improve the deck however you want. You can play it as is. And the tiles are meant to be shared among like among the group so that way there's, there's always a set of tiles to play with and the way she described it was that it's it's something that's easy to pick up the cost is a little bit high but again it, that because there's four decks it's easy to split among people the value of the singles inside are actually not terrible um i don't i don't remember the full deck list off the top of my head but there's things like shared animosity there's like a path to exile there's lightning helix there's definitely a decent amount of staples in there or cards that like edh type cards that have kind of been overdue for a reprint um, that are available inside of sets. Really appealing for people who are like concerned about making their money back on the product itself. Um, but back to your original question, in terms of just saving money, I think that just kind of goes back to managing your cash flow. That was actually one of the seminars at uh, at Southern Expo where they were talking about how to create a budget, how to manage your cash flow. And when it, when when I mentioned like, hey, save your money, use it like save it for a rainy day like there's a lot more rainy days coming ahead where people do need the money lots of good opportunities for you to be able to buy and when your money has a lot of spending power you just want to be able to manage it as efficiently as possible if you pick up collections um on a larger scale like jeremy or myself or if you're on uh, jim and travis's level where hey like if i need some money for cheap specs like i want to make sure that i have the bankroll um and i'm not just like 
I just not bought all one thing because I know that something else will come along, and I just don't need to spend it all at once. If I'm just a little frugal, like willing to be a little patient, like you can definitely get like the most bang for your buck um, by saving money. So, and I think there's just a lot more of those ahead, even if sometimes like, man, I just can't buy collections. Like our sales are down because we don't have cards in stock. Like there will always be something that comes along. So it's just a matter of waiting for the right time, right, right opportunity, because it will walk through your door. You don't need to go out searching for it. And well, you're sitting you. outside, right? Yeah. Start cranking your hog so we can see you get arrested for indecent exposure. Okay. Anyway, thank you for the uh, rainy day analogy, Ed. Um, you guys will definitely be able to see uh, more examples of this, uh, these uh, rainy days, but don't worry. Uh, everyone will start to see money soon when there is change in the weather. Uh, thanks for coming on. Ed, where can people find you? Uh, at Edwin13 uh, on Twitter. Uh, I will not be at Grand Prix this weekend. I will be at Travis's wedding uh, uh, with a plus one at that. Um, True. So, can confirm. Did he, did you hook him up? No, he, he did it on his own. Wow. You better be paying enough, Ed. What uh, airline does she work for? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually the very first thing Travis asked me as well. Like, did I find a flight time last minute? Uh, no, it, it's well, my friends. Um, he actually didn't want to pay for the plane ticket, so he just hit on somebody on his last flight so that she would take him for free to this wedding. Yep, you you, you got me. That was, that was definitely it. That's um, value. Yeah, so I will not be there uh, next weekend. I'll be at my hometown in Portland. So everyone on the West Coast who somehow doesn't know me, come by and say hi. I'll be walking around the Grand Prix. After that is Thanksgiving weekend, I believe. So I will be actually at Pokemon Regionals in San Jose. And then we'll oh, see how the rest of the year kind of wraps out. Jim, where can people find you? Uh, best place to find me is on Twitter at PHROST underscore or on Gathering Magic or on this cast. That's probably it. I'm Travis. I'm on Twitter at WizardBumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. You can find my articles, the Watchtower articles every Monday over on mtgprice.com. I also do the Fast Finance podcast. I will also not be around next Monday because I am also probably not available because of this weekend, probably be at my wedding. Um, yeah, all that stuff. Probably be at the wedding. Uh, I'm Jeremy. You can find me on Twitter at Missouri MTG. I will not be at GP Atlanta or Travis's uh, wedding this weekend, uh, though I hope Ed will finally feel united. Uh, you can find me in the great state of Missouri off of Highway Farty Far and 60 Far. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening to Cartel Aristocrats cast number 78. You can follow us on Facebook at Cartel Aristocrats. You can follow us on Twitter at Cartel underscore finance. And of course, we appreciate all the questions that you guys keep throwing our way. Just please stop asking us how to open up a shop. That's all for this week. May the most you wish for be the least you get and have a good one.